Welcome to Thriller Vault, where thriller writers tell their favorite stories. I'm your host, Phil Williams. And I'm here with my co-host, action-adventure author, Luke Richardson. Luke, how are you doing? I'm really well, thank you, Phil. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Uh, before we get into the story, I'd like to mention that Luke and I have tons of audiobooks for sale. So if you're enjoying these stories, please check us out at your favorite audiobook retailer under Luke Richardson and Phil M. Williams. So without further ado, Luke, let's get into the story. Absolutely. Yes, I'm excited about today's story because it's the first one I've told that comes from one of my novels. Now, quite often, I don't know about you, Phil, but quite often my stories sort of appear as a little bit of a story. And I, a couple of times I've written that as a sort of short story, and then over time it's expanded into a novel. And that's what exactly what happened with this story. Um it went up, it's grown into my novel now called Hong Kong Gone, which is available on Amazon. It's an audiobook as well, if you're interested in that. But this was nice. just the tiny sort of bud of the story that came to me first. So you, you, okay. you, it doesn't spoil the full story, but it just gives you an indication of what's going to happen. And then I sort of expanded that into a novel throughout the writing process. Great. Nice. Can't wait. And it's called The Disappearance of Sophie Stevenson. Here we go. Although I did change the name. The name in the novel is different, <laughs> but you'll find that okay. out. She shivers like the last blossom of summer. Winter's coming. Leaning on the railing, she looks at nothing across the darkened city. Chris knows she's wondering if he'll follow. Hearing his footsteps, she glances over her bare shoulder. Chris wants her to hear his footsteps. She wants her to know that she's approaching. Are you going to play this game all night? She turns and asks. What do you mean? Chris says playfully. Are you going to play that game where you pretend that you're not enjoying yourself? This is totally not your scene. Chris joins her, leaning on the railing, the sleepless city spread out below. She's going to talk herself into this one. He doesn't even have to do anything, Chris can tell. The rumble of celebration tumbles from the open door behind them. I like this place, she says, filling the silence. Chris knows that sometimes the best thing is just to stay silent. That puts pressure on her to fill the void. It's a nice bar, she says. Don't you think? She says this barely above a whisper. It's peaceful up here. Yeah, I've not been before, Chris says, keeping it short, keeping it sharp. He's not been here before because it's ostentatious, tacky, and exactly the sort of place that these sort of people like. A chance to show off their platinum credit cards once a year. Parties like this can be so crazy though, she says. Sometimes I don't even know what the point is. Everyone's drunk and most don't even like each other. Her voice has softened with alcohol. That's exactly what this is about, right? You've got to enjoy yourself or you're fired, Chris says. A champagne cork cracks from somewhere inside. The pop sounds strangely like a warning, Chris thinks. The shudder worms its way up his spine. I'm not sure, she says. I'll run that past Tony. They turn to see the managing director, Tony, stagger around the bar, sloshing champagne into people's glasses. From where they are, party goers are just shapes in the darkness. 
Let's move this up, Chris thinks. Neither of them are there to talk. I'm not sure he'd really care right now, Chris says, turning around to face her. What? What are you doing? A smile breathes from the corner of her lips. Her dress hangs loose from her shoulders. It falls effortlessly over her curves. It's backless too, showing the tan she's been boasting about after a holiday a few weeks ago. It'll look good on the floor later, Chris thinks, grinning wolfishly. I just want to see if it's true what they say, he says, each word laced with expectation. What's that? About mixing work and pleasure? She bites her lip. I think they mix just fine. That's if you think it's a good idea to start with. She pushes her hair back, exposing the skin of her neck. Right at that moment, Chris thinks it's the sexiest gesture he's ever seen. It sounds like you know what you're talking about, Chris says. Let it be known that whatever happens now is all your idea. I don't see you moving away, she mutters, before turning and looking back out at the city. The lights of traffic a few hundred feet away pattern across her face. The moment rests as if it's tired from its own weight. She turns back and now she's closer than before. Chris moves his arm to her lower back and touches her skin. She's warm. Their eyes play together for a moment and then... Chris leans in and kisses her. He's done this before, and so she. Her head tilts towards the sky. Her fingers play with the hair at the back of his neck. The night swells, turning music into a whisper and the other people into just stumbling shapes of mist. Chris and Sophie have been working together for almost a year. The job's rubbish, but the pay's all right and it's easy. Chris suspects that Sophie has wanted this ever since he started at the firm. The clues have been there all along. They started innocuously with helpful smiles and friendly conversation. That developed into a few strictly professional but more promising emails. Chris wasn't really interested. In all honesty, he still isn't. But Sophie doesn't know that yet. He's leaving soon. She doesn't know that either. He only got the final go-ahead last week. In six weeks, he'll be out of there, never to look back. Shall we head somewhere a little more? Chris pulls away and glances from side to side. Private, Sophie whispers, her voice liquid. A breeze whips from the street and she shivers. Pimples appear on her bare arms. Chris rubs them slowly, apologetically, He senses that with each touch, she wants more. I'm staying at the hotel, just upstairs, she says, as if the words are a promise. That sounds perfect. Chris makes it sound like he's thinking about it there and then. He knows he'll be out well before sunrise. Yours it is then. Sophie takes his hand and leads them into the bar. She was always going to talk her way into this. Monday morning is never the best time. Chris hates Mondays. Life's colour seems to be squeezed out, leaving a sepia-tone wreckage of responsibility and regret. 
Never is that more true than with the male-received beep of 21st century slavery. Amongst today's tasks, this. Email from Sophie Stevenson. Sent Sunday morning, 10am. Last night was so nice. It was a shame you had to leave early. It wasn't until you'd gone that I realised I didn't get your number. Spending the night together was great. It turned out to be a pretty good party in the end. I'll come and see you later. Sophie, kiss. It was good to be fair, Chris thinks. He imagines Sophie still in the hotel room as she sent that message. His face stretches into a grin. At lunchtime, Chris is in the small side room their department uses as a kitchen. The microwave warms the forgettable meal he grabbed on the way to work. Chris douses a spoonful of bumper-sized coffee with scalding water and then dazes into the cup. Here's where you're hiding, an annoying voice booms from the door. Chris knows who it is even before he turns to see. It's Sophie. He glances towards her. If he smiles, it's nerves. The soft whispers of alcohol in the evening are gone. Today, her red hair is pinned tightly behind her head in a way that says, I get what I want. She does look good, though, Chris thinks. Saturday. Whoa, I think we totally need to talk about that, Sophie says, stepping forwards into the room. Chris glances at the coffee he hasn't stopped stirring for the last 30 seconds. Sophie steps up beside him. Too close for professional, but not close enough to suggest she's totally comfortable with this either. I'm I'm sorry, Sophie, Chris says, turning around. Their faces are now just inches apart. Chris tries to step back, but he's already against the kitchen counter. He prays that no one comes into the kitchen and sees them this close. Sophie's eyes bore into his, challenging. Chris clears his throat. I I think I might have... um, I, I think I gave you the wrong impression on Saturday, Chris says. I was really drunk and... uh. Finally, he breaks eye contact. Sophie reels backwards as though burned. But all those things you said and did. She steadies herself and plants her hands on her hips. Chris can't help but think how sexy she looks. He hopes he doesn't smile, although he feels like he is. We were so close, Sophie snarls, angry now and even sexier than before. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was really drunk. You were great, though. Chris tries to think genuine and act genuine. Well, I'm I'm shocked, Sophie says, clearly stating the obvious. I definitely shouldn't have bothered. She spits the words as though they taste horrible. The microwave chimes and Chris shuffles aside to remove his lunch. When he turns back, Sophie is gone. Chris crosses to the door to see Sophie storm back to her desk. He shrugs. It all seems to have worked out all right in the end. And his lunch tastes okay too. The following day, there's a general staff meeting in the big conference room. Chris is one of the last to arrive. He slips through the door to see that 30 or so people are already there. 
listening attentively to one of the partners drone on about some piece of new legislation that he doesn't know or care about. He slips between the chairs right to the back of the room and then sits down. The partner continues to talk, using more acronyms than actual words, in the way people do in an attempt to make themselves appear more intelligent. Chris reminds himself that he doesn't care. He's leaving anyway. He gazes around the room, looking for something to distract from the boring diatribe about whatever the guy is saying. The room offers nothing. There are mass-produced watercolours on the walls of places that don't really exist and plastic plants that are a bright green colour that real plants never are. It's a wonder, Chris thinks, how so many characterless things can all be placed in the same room. He notices Sophie sitting in the front row, nodding enthusiastically. Despite passing Chris in the corridor several times, She's stoically avoided looking at him each time. Chris notices that today she's tied her hair up in a bun, which wobbles as she nods in agreement. And that should see our pre-tax profits for the quarter increase by over 5%, drains the man at the front. Chris rolls his eyes, then yawns. Thanks for that, Carl, the managing director says, standing up. It's the first time Chris has seen the managing director since the party at the weekend. As the managing director steps forward to address the staff, Chris remembers him staggering around on Saturday evening. Some more good news. It's an exciting time to work here, the director says. We're all very lucky to be part of such a dynamic, forward-thinking company. Chris notices Sophie nodding with renewed energy. but. Because we are so forward-thinking and aspirational for ourselves and each other, members of our family do sometimes leave us for exciting new opportunities with the confidence and skills they have gained while working here. Chris is suddenly alert. He jerks upward in his seat. He's not going to announce it like this, is he? Chris, who has been working with our accounts department for just over a year now, will be leaving to pursue a career in the United States. It'll be sad for us to see him go, but Chris, honestly, we wish you the best of luck. The MD points towards Chris, snarling at the back, and then initiates a painful round of applause. Chris paints a thanks very much smile on his face and nods agreeably. There goes his plan to slip out quietly on the last day without funfair or recognition. Finally, people turn their attention away from Chris and head back to their desks. Chris waits until the room is almost empty and then follows. Why didn't you tell me? Someone snarls as Chris leaves the conference room. The voice is so laced with anger that it takes Chris a few moments to realise it's Sophie speaking. You said all that at the party, knowing that you're leaving in a few weeks. You didn't even have an, an ounce of decency to tell me. Sophie stands with her hands on her hips, her eyes boring into Chris's. If looks could kill, he would be dead 100 times over. I bet you think it's none of my business, but you're wrong, Sophie continues. I have a right to know these things. When were you planning to let me know this little scheme of yours? 
Chris tries to think of the appropriate response, but comes up with nothing. He considers asking Sophie why she really cares, but that certainly doesn't seem like the right thing to do. Well, I tell you this now, it's not happening. Sophie hisses. You can tell everyone you want, whatever you want, but you're not going. She turns and marches away. Watching Sophie reach the end of the corridor, Chris's mind fills with several clever and witty responses. He glances at his watch. The next few weeks can't pass quickly enough. The sooner he's out of here, the better. The next few days pass without excitement. The search is on to find Chris's replacement. Chris scoffed at the advert which offered less money than he earns for more hours than he works. He suspects they're rushing it through in an attempt to have him train the poor recruit before he leaves. He's managed to avoid Sophie entirely, which is good news. In all honesty, he doesn't understand what all the fuss is about. People at work are always up to things like this, aren't they? And it's Friday, which is great news because it means Chris is done for the week. Two more Fridays and he's out of here completely. As part of his technique to avoid everyone, especially Sophie, Chris has been waiting until most people have left the office before leaving himself. He figures that people will assume it's a last-ditch attempt to catch up on some work, rather than the truth that he'd rather waste an hour a day than see Sophie for a moment longer than absolutely necessary. The office car park is a dank, low-ceilinged basement beneath the building. Based in the city, most people rely on public transport, so the car park is seldom used. As Chris lives in the obscurity of suburbia, he drives. Being underused, the car park is also badly maintained. Only half the lights work and the gate onto the street is never locked, turning it into a great place for anyone with nowhere better to go. Chris strides down the concrete steps from the office, his footsteps echoing like rain. The darkness smells of urine. Chris doesn't see the shape standing near his car until he's just a few steps away. When he does, he doesn't know what it is, but he does know that it isn't usually there. Hello, he says shakily. He's going to look crazy if it's nothing more than a funny-shaped shadow. Hello, are you okay? He says again. It's probably just one of the drunks who stumbled down into the car park to get out of the rain. He walks around his car and heads towards the driver's door. I, I don't know how you can do it. Chris knows the voice in a heartbeat. It's become the voice that haunts his nightmares and it's about to get a whole lot worse. Sophie. Sophie steps out from the shadow and moves towards the car. Orange light falls violently across her face. I just don't know how you can do it, she says again. His heart's thumping now from the eerie setting of their meeting. Chris steps in closer to his car. Now he's going to have to engage with her. No choice. She's trapped him, given him no other option. I, I really don't know what you mean, Chris says, picking his words carefully. I'm just trying to go. 
How can you walk around here like nothing's happened? Like you haven't done anything? Sophie's voice is sharper than usual, shaking, hoarse. She sounds desperate. Chris sighs. Look, I'm really sorry if I've upset you by not telling you, and you feel that I've led you on. He tries to talk softly, calmly. Inside, all he wants to do is get straight out of there. You're a really nice person. It's just, you know I'm leaving. If I wasn't, I definitely want to see you again. You, Sophie says. I wouldn't want to see you if you were the last person in the world. You make me sick. Sophie's shouting now. She steps forwards towards Chris. Chris silently prays for someone else to come down the stairs, for a car to pull in from the street, or something that would mean he could just get into his car and go home. What's the problem then? Chris says, a little too quickly. He's had enough now. This girl is crazy. In that moment, Chris decides that he'll call in on Monday and tell the managing director that he can't work anymore, has to work from home. Sophie, I'm going to get into my car now and go home, he says. It takes all of his strength to remain calm. Chris walks past her and unlocks the car. He reaches the car door and pulls it open. All he has to do now is slide into the driver's seat and get out of there. Then he'll be home and free. Her next comment drops like a bomb, the sort that ruins lives. I I just don't remember. I just don't remember giving you consent. It sounds almost tearful, resentful, believable, but it's clearly not true. She invited Chris to her room. What? Chris says. He feels anger explode inside him. You can't be saying that. That's completely untrue, and you know it. He knows the effects comments like that can have. Comments like that can ruin careers, even if they're not true. I just can't remember it, Chris. I can't remember. She's sobbing now. Her shoulders heave up and down as she breathes. I want to remember, but I can't. I can't. You did this. Don't say that, Chris says. It's not true, and you know it. Chris's chest tightens as though something is physically crushing his ribcage. His back is straight. His eyes are alert. He feels as though this is fight and flight. A light strobes into darkness on the other side of the car park. In that one moment, Sophie's expression changes. Now she's smiling. She's smiling through the tears which a moment ago were rolling unabated down her cheeks. She fixes Chris with her gaze. Chris feels like he's a mouse in the claws of a vicious tomcat. She lifts her left hand and holds a folded piece of paper towards him. That's my address, Sophie says, her voice normal again. All the trace of distress is gone. She's so convincing that Chris wonders for a moment whether he imagined the whole thing. Come at nine this evening and our secret will stay that way. Her face drops and the sobbing returns before Chris can say anything. Then she walks away, nothing more than calm and quiet and professional. 
The drive home is long, but passes in a blur. The lights of the city streak, the rain-flecked windows like neon scars. Chris knows that he shouldn't go, that's obvious. He'd be mad to. He just needs to stay away from her, to bide his time, and then get out of here. Then, he wonders what would happen if she starts spreading rumours about him. The new company aren't going to want him, with an accusation like that hanging over him. Chris imagines his new job, his new life, everything he's worked for, drifting away like smoke in a storm. Through the window, the night hangs heavy, expectant and threatening. Right, Phil, I'm going to ask you, what should Chris do? What do you think Chris should do in this situation? That's, it's a brutal situation. <laughs> I like the, uh, she's crying and smiling at the same time. It's just, she can turn it, turn it on and off, obviously at will, which, which tells me that you're dealing with, you're dealing with somebody that's, uh, maybe on a, another level of danger that, you know, than the average person. But, uh, yeah, if I was, if I was in Chris's shoes, I mean, you know, he's leaving, he's, he's going to America. And if I thought that the only repercussion would be all my friends think I'm this terrible person that did this thing or all the people that she knows that, that we have in common would think that I would just let that, let that be and, and, you know, let them think terrible about me and just walk away from it and not go see her. But if I thought that there was going to be, I'm going to lose my job, I could go to jail, I could go to prison and all that stuff, I'd probably meet her and try to try to record the conversation. So that way I can try to get her to admit that she's not telling the truth. Mm. That would be scary. It That'd would, wouldn't it? What, what, what about yeah. you? It's a really tough, tough one. I think I'd, I think I'd stay away. I don't think I could face going... <laughs> going to walking into the lion's den like that you know <laughs> yeah i'm not sure i could see yeah, any scary. any it positives of going of going there because you don't know what she's done you don't know if there'll be anyone else there or if i'd certainly certainly maybe meet her in a mutual public neutral place as opposed to go to her house on okay a, maybe that would be but i mean i'm not chris i'm the writer of the story but i'm not <laughs> Yeah, that's true. But if you right. felt if but if you felt desperate, like she's going to send you to prison, mm. then you might want to try to do. I could see trying to meet with her and maybe trying to either convince her not to ruin your life or to record her being a psychopath and you know being able to use that as evidence. Mm. But then there are ways it could go worse but, as well. Yeah. And easier said we'll than done. <laughs> yeah, you can make it totally. Totally make it worse. She could, you, she could show up and you show up there and she's got bruises and everything else. And, and, you know, she gets you to put her hand, her hands on them or, or, or you somehow go. and you get fingerprints and who knows. Let's see yeah. what actually happens. We'll talk again in a moment's time. Right. Okay. The first line will tell you the answer to, to, to the question. <laughs> 10 past nine, Chris pulls up outside Sophie's apartment. Sophie lives in one of those modern apartment complexes which are built out of cardboard on landfill sites. A row of expensive cars make a silent suggestion about the occupants, their means and their tastes. Chris has decided that he has to go. He has to go and reason with her. He plans to apologise and he plans to play nice. And, most importantly, 
at the first sign of Sophie going crazy, he'll be out of there. He walks like a condemned man towards the front door and thumbs the intercom. Come up, third floor. Sophie's voice jars almost immediately from the speaker. It sounds as though she's been waiting for him. Chris opens the door and slips inside. The corridor is stark against the grim darkness outside. The lights click on automatically as he enters. They're the sort of bright lights which are so pure that you feel dirty in comparison. Chris glances at the elevator, then decides to take the stairs. He wants to be able to get out of there in a hurry if needed. With each step of the three-floor climb, Chris's legs feel heavier. Twice, he pauses and considers going back. Twice, he talks himself around and reminds himself that he's just there to reason with her. He's going in to talk to her and then he'll get out. Chris reaches apartment 39. For a long moment, he stares at the door without moving. Finally, he knocks. Someone moves around inside. The lock clicks as it disengages and the door opens. Sophie's there. Chris takes a step back in surprise. He doesn't know what he was expecting, but this isn't it. Sophie looks scared and timid and meek. Her bright hair, which is usually so close to perfect, is down and messed up at one side. It looks as though she's been lying on it. Her eyes are shot with veins and her complexion is blotchy. She's wearing a white and pink dressing gown, which even in the half-light looks faded. Chris looks at the woman and almost doesn't recognise her. Sophie moves aside to let Chris in. He hesitates. A neighbour down the corridor leaves their flat. The door bangs behind them as they head for the lift. Chris and the man share a glance for a moment. Once again, Chris can't help but feel like he's being condemned. Inside, the place is a mess. Burglars would take more care than she has. There are clothes and shoes all over the floor in the hall and plates lie unwashed in the kitchen. Chris glances into a bedroom. Both the floor and the bed are covered in clothes. The whole place is dark, lit by the occasional bare bulb hanging from the ceiling. Sophie shows Chris into the lounge, where the destruction continues. In the centre, he turns, expecting her to have followed him in. She hasn't. Only lit by a lamp buried in one corner, the room's dark. Sophie appears in the doorway, just a silhouette from where Chris stands. It's, it's so nice you've come to see me, she says. Her voice is liquid and docile. Finally, we'll get to spend the whole evening together. We can carry on from last time. Chris watches Sophie approach him in the half-light. He tries not to get distracted by the fact that she's clearly very attractive. Sophie, what are you doing? He says. I came here just to talk. Oh, sure, she says. We can talk if you like. We can do whatever you like. Sophie takes a step forwards, her hips rolling with each movement. Chris urges himself to focus. He needs to stay focused. He can't let this happen. 
What do you want to do? Sophie says. Her voice is snake-like, each syllable tasting the air with its forked tongue. She's almost right in front of Chris now. If he were to reach out, he could take her in his arms. No, Sophie, Chris says, less firmly than he wants to. We are not doing this again. You've made that clear. I don't know what you're talking about, she says. Seriously, Sophie, no, Chris says, far too softly. It almost sounds as though he's telling a joke. Chris looks around the room frantically for something to pull him out of this nightmare. All he can see is Sophie, her twisting body intertwining with his. She won't stop and she won't let him go. Chris steps backwards and squints around the room. He sees himself moments from something he already knows the consequences of. What do you think you're doing? Sophie says. The soft voice has gone. Her tongue is now barbed and bitter. No, Sophie, I'm leaving, Chris says. No, you're not. We're spending the night together. You promised. She shouts the word promised. It reverberates around the space. Sophie moves across the room and blocks the door. You need to get out of my way, Chris tells her. Sophie doesn't reply. Her face twists into a snarl. Her eyes glimmer like a threat. Chris takes a step forward to push past her. He doesn't see her hand until it slashes his face. It stings like a whip. Sophie steadies herself for a second attack, her nails unfurling like claws. Then she screams. Her hand flies towards Chris's face. He doesn't feel the lacerations. He pushes Sophie backwards. The force catches her off balance and she stumbles into the hallway. Chris pushes her again back into the bedroom. Sophie falls to the bed. Chris runs for the door. He needs to get out. Now. Sophie screams and curses, the noise echoing around the flat. Blood thumps in Chris's ears. His face throbs. He pulls open the door and steps breathlessly into the corridor. The bright lights burn his eyes. He shuts the door behind him and the sounds of Sophie's shrieking mutes. The corridor is empty. Chris runs for the stairs and leaps down them two at a time. Chris reaches the ground floor and runs for the door. He wants nothing more than to get back in his car right now. His heart pounds mercilessly. A young man barges in through the main door. He's carrying a bag of shopping in one hand and fumbles with the keys in the other. The man glances at Chris and their eyes lock for a moment. Chris grabs the door and runs outside. The cold air stings his face. He touches his cheek. It feels wet. His fingers come away red. Red like a warning. Red like Sophie's hair. Monday drops like the first day of winter. The air hangs thick like monotone glue. Chris calls the managing director to explain everything. He had thought about making up some elaborate story about why he couldn't serve his notice, but decided on the truth. After all, He's done nothing to be ashamed of. Chris explains, and then there's a curious silence on the line. It sounds as though the managing director is thinking about what to do or what to say. There's a knock on the door. 
Chris is still on the phone, but answers it anyway. It's probably just a parcel. Cold air streams into the hallway, making Chris wince. It stings his cheek. He instinctively runs fingers across the red scratch beneath his left eye. From his coat, hanging limp in the hallway, a strand of red hair falls to the floor. Two police officers stand in the morning gloom. Are you Christopher Price? One of them asks. Chris hangs up the phone and nods. We'd like to ask you a few questions about the disappearance of Sophie Stevenson. Nice. There you go. Very good. That's a, that's that makes me want to get the get the book. What's the name of the book? That, it's called that, Hong that, Kong. Is that like a prequel? No, that is part of the book. So you, those those okay. scenes are actually in the book. But like the first few chapters. The first few chapters. Yeah, and it sort of goes on to. Yeah. In the book, Chris. Although that's not his name, he's called Jamie. In fact, in the book, why I changed the name, I'm not sure. Um, he then he then goes to prison. He gets he gets charged with with sophie's supposed okay. murder and then he calls my guys because he knows right. he's innocent he calls my guys who are the detective duo and they oh so they've got to go find her that's right and they have to go and find her and then there's a big twist which comes later but um nice but yeah so that that is really the sort of first part of the story that i did there but but interestingly the like... story came to me via that i wrote that story just in an afternoon because it was a cool idea that i was playing with and then it over time expanded and expanded into the novel. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's, it's really good. I, they, it reminds me of uh it's similar premise to gone girl by Gillian Flynn. Are you familiar with that? I am. Book yeah. Yeah. Slash yeah. movie. I have so, seen the movie. I mean, I haven't she's, the yeah. you know, she, right. So she disappears and they think that he's, that the husband has killed her or, you know, they can't find the evidence, but it's kind of a similar scenario which is interesting to me but mm. um but yeah it's just that that's a that's a pretty scary scenario though imagine being in that in that position um the you you know you were talking about the 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 scene where he's in her apartment and she's trying he's trying to get away from her and she's assaulting him you know um that is that brought back that that made me remember a bad breakup that i had and it was not obviously the exact same scenario, but it was it was bad. It brought me back some bad memories. <laughs> oh no! I'm so sorry. thanks for that. Luke. <laughs> you should Appreciate have had a trigger that. warning. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all yeah, we're all good though. We're good. Oh no! I I enjoyed the the whole life thing behind that. I suppose is playing with the idea of who is the who's the bad guy, who's the who's the victim, and who's the perpetrator, sort of thing. Because yeah, in the first scenes, Chris is this confident you know cocky right sort of arrogant person who's clearly whilst clearly he's playing with her this vulnerable woman who's you know who who has shown a like to him and he's clearly entering something which ethically is is probably wrong isn't it you know for him to him to talk right. to her as if there's some chance that they'll be together and he knows absolutely there's no chance but he's just doing it for his own entertainment yeah. you know and then for that to be totally turned on its head and he realizes, oh gosh, I shouldn't have, <laughs> I should have left that well alone, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, initially, initially I, I was partial to Sophie. I'm like, this guy's a 
this guy's an a-hole and I, I don't, I, I did not like Chris at all. I'm like, you know, you're, you're obviously you're clearly taking advantage of this, of this woman. She seems like a nice person. You're not disclosing. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, it's a really gray area, uh, as far as like, you know, you're talking about sexual relations between people that don't know each other very well. Mm. And it's like, if you misrepresent yourself, like for example, if a guy says, Oh, I'm a millionaire and I'm this and I'm that. And it's all lies sleeps with the woman under false pretenses. It's like, you know, is that really legitimate consent or not? Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's definitely a gray area. It's a, it's a really difficult thing to prosecute. It is. And it's a really it is. Difficult and that's thing the to, point of this story, yeah. isn't it really? That it's, yeah, that it's, um, it's a gray out. There's lots of gray parts in it. You don't know quite who the, who, you don't know quite who's acting and what their motivations are for acting. And yeah, I, I loved playing with that and I enjoy stories like that. And the way, the way you as a reader or a listener in this case are thrown into that world of not quite knowing who to trust. Right. Well, that's a, that's a, that sounds like a great story. So the book is Hong Kong. Is that correct? Hong Kong gone. It's called Hong Kong gone. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, that's going to be it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Thriller Vault. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share. And we'll see you next week. 